0: The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. Amen. Okay, so last week, Sermon on the plane, right? And uh, if you remember, Jesus was really talking about the life of his people, this new community. What's it going to be like? And it's going to be this remarkable reversal, right, of values, That the people of God have. Uh, The people of God will treasure, right, let's say what the world calls pitiful. pitiful. It's it's just, why would you ever want to be that, right? And then we'll, we'll suspect or maybe even distrust what the world calls desirable or the things we should treasure, the things we should go after, the wealth and the fame and all these different things. And so Jesus pronounced the blessings and the woes to his people last week. And, it, and remember, it called us to really recalibrate our thinking about life, what it means to live here now and what it means to have life when, when we die or when Christ returns in eternity, okay? But this week what you're going to do is you're going to think in this text, hopefully, Jesus is going to show how this community is to interact towards people that are hostile to the community right? So last week was inward, very inward of thinking of heart posture, right? This week, Jesus is he's going to turn and he's going to say, now listen, and if you remember last week, there's going to be people who hate you on my account. How are we going to interact with them in this kingdom, right? And so that's where he's going to take us in this text. And what you'll notice is Jesus is going to hammer one theme. And actually, I would say, you could say that's true throughout all the gospels. And it's this word love, right? Love. And, and that, if, if, it, if he had one message, it's that, right? Love God, love your neighbor, love, 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 love right? And so that's, that's the thing. Here's the main point, ready? Love is to be the distinctive mark of a disciple. Love. Jesus said, you'll know my disciples by how they love one another, right? I, think, I don't think that's new. If you've been around church at any point, for any length of time, I think you would agree that that's the case, that you would agree that you've heard that. Now, here's the thing. There are many people who hear that, and they would automatically be like, yes, love. Oh, I love the word love. I mean, our culture loves love, right? They just love it, right? Love is love. What does that even mean? I hear that, and I'm like, that doesn't tell me anything. Right, but but this is the mantra. That's the creed that the culture embraces. Well, Jesus would agree. But we have to make sure that we understand what we're talking about when we say the word love. Because here's the deal: millions of people seek after it. Right? Kids dream of it. Right? Artists they depict it in their artwork. Movie lovers crave it. Right? Preachers preach it. Singers sing it. But but what is it? What is love? Right? Uh, we say with the same enthusiasm and the same tone. Oh, I just love him. I just love her. As we do, oh, I just love bacon. And it's like, are they the same? Are they the same? Right? What do you mean? You know, because it starts to become a very confusing word when we throw it around in that way. By the way, this is not new. Every generation, really every generation has had this, you know, popular, like, like attraction to love. Just think about music for a minute. How about love ballads, right? I think if you think about it, you'll think, in every generation there are love ballads, right? Uh, I preached this little moment one other time and I used 90s. This, this time I'm going to use 80s, right? So for anybody who likes the 80s, I'm going to bring back some memories for you. Foreigner sang, I want to know what love is. Well, so do I, and so should you, Right? <laughs> Tina Turner, she rocked out and she says, "What's love got to do with it?" I have to work really hard not to sing it as I say it. <laughs> What's love got to do? Right? No. Stevie Wonder, he gave us all something to say when our phone rang on the, you know, the, the 25 corded foot dial-up phone. Right? What, what do we say? I just called to say I love you. Right? Okay. How about Whitney Houston, 1985, saving all my love for you. Cooling the gang remembered everyone. Love will stand the test of time with his hit, their hit song, Cherish. All right, if you don't know that, that's okay. White Snake, any fans? Is this love, right, that I'm feeling? I don't know that it is, but anyway, <laughs> something. Um, LL Cool J, right? He says, I need love. But, but I want you to notice something. Songwriters, po- if, if, if songwriters and poets are, are really the theologians of our culture, and I, I would say they are, right? They're, they're speaking the voice of the people in, in what they write and what they do. Then one thing's for sure. Everyone is interested in this word love. Everybody. But most people don't know what it is. What is it? What is love? If you had to define that, what would you say? Well, we're going to, you're going to have a definition. you have to see if you agree with it by the time we're done. But Jesus is going to just flip all our understanding on our head. And, and if it's not flipped on its head, it's because you've been around Christ for a while and you've probably thought this is a normative thought but it's not so let's look Luke 6 27 and 28 remember he's talking to his disciples those who are in the you know in the kingdom those are his people how are we going to interact with the people outside of this the outsiders that are hating towards you ready but I say to you who hear love your enemies (laughs) do good to those who hate you Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Is that what we would expect when we think of the word love within our cultural setting? See, we read the exhortation to love your enemies, but then notice it's followed by some parallel exhortations, and and it unpacks this theme of what love is, loving your enemies. Notice it's do good. Notice the actionable, right? Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. So so notice this. This is the first time in Luke's gospel we see this word love in, in in a verb form. First time in Luke's gospel. It's not just a feeling. It may involve feelings, but it's not even primarily feelings. It's actionable, right? This is what love looks like, Jesus says, right? Bless them. Do good. So it's under that banner of doing good. They're trying to do harm to you. You're to do good to them. It's completely upside down right in these two verses jesus is calling his people his disciples to a counterintuitive love counterintuitive just means that it's contrary to our intuition right my instincts say this you're saying to do the opposite it doesn't seem like common sense like our natural instincts every one of us apart from the grace of god is love your friends and hate your enemies if jesus says that he'd have more followers no doubt in my mind, right? Because we, we're like, I can get down with that. I will wear that T-shirt, right? But, but that's not what Jesus says. He tells them to love, to do good, to bless, to pray for their enemies. Now, friendly reminder, we've got to work to stay in context of this sermon that Jesus is preaching, right? Um, these instances are in the setting of persecution, don't forget that. These are people who are hostile to God's people. So, so if you don't remember that, you're gonna to start to get really whack in, in the way that you're trying to figure out life, right? If you look, you'll notice that each of these hostile actions happen to those who hate God's people on account of Jesus. And where do I see that? Verse 22. It was last week, but look at it again. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they spurn your name as evil, Comma, notice, on account of the Son of Man. People hate you because of me, he's saying. How are you going to interact with them when that hatred comes your way? All right, so that's, that's the main teaching that Jesus is saying. Now, what's that look like? Well, he starts to get specific. Look at 29 through 30 in, in Luke 6 with me. So here's some specific instances. He says, So the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. By the way, I would say that Jesus does not mean strikes you as in like he punches you in the right side of your face and you say, didn't knock me out, bro, hit the other one. It's not what he's saying, right? It's much more of a disrespectful slap or maybe a comment that was very sideways that wanted to hurt you. Okay, if you don't believe me, hang in there. We'll get to it. And, and from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. And you're like, well, I don't have a cloak or a tunic. Okay, your coat and your shirt, right? So if someone's coming, they, they're robbing you. He's saying, don't hold on to your coat with like these white knuckles. They want what you have. Just give it to them. And if they want to take your shirt, let them take that too. Trust. Why? I'm getting ahead of Jesus in a sense, but he's saying essentially I'll provide for you. And this community will provide for you. You can trust me in these moments of persecution, Right? Okay. He says, Give to everyone who begs. Uh, by the way, probably a better word there would be demands. Demands. The reason I say this is because if you continue with the text, he says, From you and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. See that? We hear word beg, and immediately I, I think of a time when I was in Columbus, Ohio. And one thing that I've noticed anytime there's a big convention for Christians, Panhandlers come out of the woodwork and they come to that city because they're like, we got some suckas. Capital S. Yeah, no, I won't spell it. You get it. Right. And they have read this text. And if anyone begs of you, you just got to whip out the wallet and start flinging the cash. And people do that, by the way. Right. Uh, I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't, but I'm saying that's not what that text is meaning. Right? Let your conscience guide you there. There's times where you should there's maybe give some money. There's times where you should not give some money in those moments. Because what the real question is, is how do we help the poor? How do we really help them? Because right? there's a time where giving a 20 spot might help them. There might be another time where you give a 20 spot and it doesn't help them. It enables them. Right? So we have to know. And, and, and that takes what? Relationship. It takes real relationship, real intentionality, because it's easy to just give 20 bucks and feel good, like, look at me, Jesus, high five, fist bump, let's go. It's not what he's saying. So, so then let's, let's try to get to the heart of what is he saying. And, th- and then he gives us the golden rule, right? You maybe heard of it as that. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. All right. This, th- the picture that's being painted here is what happens when disciples suffer on the account of the Son of Man. This is the picture. I mean, the, these daunting commands are for disciples under persecution because they love Jesus and because they're his followers, right? They're not just general instructions about life on the regular. And you have to say, so why? Why isn't that? Well, because the question is always, what is most loving to God? What is most loving to neighbor? That's always the question Jesus is having in the front of your mind if you're following him. What is most loving? So then if we think that backwards, and and we should, we should think backwards because there are many times within church gatherings and within church, you know, when I say the people, pastors may teach us in a way that propagates abuse, allows for it and even sets a standard for it, right? For instance, a woman who's being abused by her husband should not submit to her husband and the abuse in the name of turning the other cheek. It's not most loving. It's not most loving to God, and it's not most loving to the husband, because it's not okay that you continue on in that sin. Or or if a heroin addict ask for money to buy more drugs and thus further enslaves that person into their drug addiction, Christ-like love would actually compel the Christian not to give them money, right, in that form anyway. But if you have a rigid understanding of this text, you would say, well, if he's begging, give it to him. Well, that's the most loving. So we can't detach our brain from the text, and we can't detach the text from the context of what Jesus is saying. This is why it's so important that you understand how to read and interpret your Bible. Bad theology can get you hurt, bad theology can get you killed. Prime example, you'll laugh, but before you do, temper yourself and know that this is a real human that that this happened to. West Virginia, this is a handful of years ago, I don't know how many. Um, they, They were, you ever hear of a snake handling church? Yeah, okay. It's terrifying. Um, They take an obscure text. I think it's in Mark 16. This is all coming to my head because it's not in my notes. And they hold it up and they say, If you hold a poisonous serpent and it strikes you, you will live. So this church in West Virginia, not far from here, neighboring, right, holds it up and the thing strikes him and he's bleeding. You can get a YouTube video. I'm not saying you should. But everyone's like, It's okay. He's our pastor. He has faith. He died. He died. Now, how did that happen? Bad theology. And you think, is that really why? Yeah, that's really why. He was trying to obey. We've well, gotta understand the difference between descriptive and prescriptive, but you also gotta know what you're talking about and what Jesus is talking about, because I used to always think, man, if someone punches you on the right cheek, give them your left, and I thought, okay. And there's a story of, of an Irish preacher, ready? This one's not in my notes, either. this is all extra. There's a story of a preacher. He's an Irish preacher who used to be a boxer. Jesus saved him. He comes out of the ring, he goes into the pulpit. And so he's telling this story and he's preaching this text. But then he said, I did get into a fight in a bar one night and one guy punched me on the right. And he goes, the other guy punched me in the left. He goes, and then what did you do? I beat all four of them up, he said. Because Jesus didn't say what to do after that. I don't know if that's kind of like a wives' tale or if that's true. But gosh, we got to think a little bit harder. You have to interpret all of this text in the context of the Bible, in the most immediate context, right? So if you, if you stick with us, we're going to work hard through preaching, but also through many other ways for you to engage the word of God so that you might know how to read, so that you might know how to interpret, so that you might know how to hear what God is saying through his living word. By the power of the Spirit. Okay, all right. So let's let's move on here. Uh, let me give one warning before we move on. Don't don't think you're off the hook. Then, well, no one's persecuting me. So then I don't have to love people who are my enemies. Don't don't think that that that's not a posture of of a disciple who has a tender heart towards the Lord. Because. That that's not saying, Christ, I want to hear from you. What's the general rule? That's the immediate context. But can we learn here? I think we can. What would be a broad approach to these commands? That's a good question. The the command is still to be generous and vulnerable to everyone and anyone in that moment that magnifies Christ and seeks to love. That's really the posture. And that's where we spend the rest of our time. So point one, loving your enemies has great reward but loving your friends is worthless <sighs> caveat i don't mean every time you love someone you love and that loves you that it's worthless but where do i get that let's look at the text luke 6 32 and 34 if you love those who love you what benefit is that to you right so he's talking about uh, you know reward right it's, what benefit is it to you? He says, for even sinners, those, by the way, define sinners. It's real important you understand sinners isn't just like someone who goes and punches someone. Sinning is just rebelling against God, not just rebelling against God. It's rebellion against God. It's loving creation more than you love creator. That's, the, that's primarily what sin is. And you could, you could put that in any category, right? I love my spouse more than I love God. Now, you might not say that, but that would be idolatry. You've put a created being above the creator. That's rebellion against God, right? We always think of, like, Hitler, right? That's a sinner. Everyone, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what he's saying is even sinners, those who don't love God, even those who are rebelling against God, for even sinners love those who love them. See, See what Jesus is saying? I'm not impressed. That's, that's really what he's saying. I don't know if he's saying that, but you get the point. And he says, if you do good to those who do good to you, well, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. People who don't love God, that's what he's saying, do the same. I'm not impressed. And, and if you lend to those who, whom you expect to receive, right, what credit is that to you? What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Well, this is blowing up all our culture's understanding of love, right? It may be blowing up yours. So once again, I'm going to read it, the the first point. Loving your enemies has great reward, but loving your friends is worthless in the kingdom in that way. Now, the reason you can't push that statement too far is because we are to love one another. We are to love one another, right? But in this context so what he's saying is he's trying to get your attention. That's why I added those words right there. So if you don't believe my words, that's fine. Believe Christ's words. And I think you see the same thing in the comparison. He's he's shocking. Jesus is shocking in what he's saying. It should unsettle you. It should set you off-center a little bit and say, am I reading that right? Right? So, the love that Jesus is talking about here is not the kind that our culture promotes. The love that that comes from sinners is is always self-interested. That's what he's saying. Right? Whereas, the love that comes from God is sacrificial. It's going to cost you something to love. That's what Jesus is saying, right? To to love people who love you, it it is somewhat self-interested. You should still love those who love you, and that's a good thing. That's harmony, right? But he's saying, everyone does that. My people are going to love in such a way, it's going to take you off center. Those who hate you, I want you to bless them. I want you to love them. I want you to to pray for those who are abusing you. I want to curse them. I know. But that's not who you are. That's not who my people are. That's not who I am, right? And so he's going to go there as we continue. Look, look at verse 35 and 36. He says, but love, love your enemies. This is why we have to define love. And we're going to do that before we leave today. But, but love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And then, he, 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 look at the, 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 uh, the contrast. He says, your reward will be great, your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the most high. Don't think, I do this, then I become children of God. What he's saying, you'll be like dad. You'll be like your father who's in heaven. When you, when you do this, you will be, not, not we do this and then we are. We do because being, right, always precedes doing. You'll be like your father. You'll be sons of the most high. For he, okay, listen, what's our God like? He's kind. He's kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful, right? Even as your father is merciful. That's how you think of God. That he's he's kind, that he's merciful, that that what we deserve is wrath and what he gives is grace, kindness, love, mercy. He's steadfast. He He has a real long wick. He doesn't get angry in the first moment. He, he looks at you with mercy. He looks at you with kindness to so be like your Father in heaven. You know, we're to, church, we're to be marked with a love that makes the unbelieving world around us kind of scratch their head. That just doesn't make sense. It's, it's otherworldly. I've never seen people that, that love like that. That's not what the world means when they throw around the word love. It's not what our culture means when they throw the word love around. Right. So, in order to help you have a little clarity on this word love, right? Um, I'm going to give you a little framework. And, and the reason is because we use the word love in one way in many ways. But that's not how Greek works. You had four. I'm not going to get into all the details. You want to talk offline, we can do that. But here, I'm going to give you four categories. How about ordinary love, right? It's just loving people who are like us, right? Everybody does that. You know, if you're you're a part of the Steeler nation, you love them. Why? Because they got the same team logo on, and right, like you're a yinzer, we're family, right? Okay, till you're not, and, and because you're talking about anything other than football, and now you're fighting. Okay, but that's just ordinary love. How about self love? Right, loving people who are like us. I find that to be particularly easy. Right until you get around and you get to know each other even more, and you're like, well, we're not exactly like I thought we would be, are we? Right? But you can see this in the political spectrum. You can see this in the political spectrum, right? So I'm very conservative. Well, I'm very liberal. Well, I hate you. Well, I hate you. I got my people. I'm, I'm entrenched now. I got my people. These are my people. We do this in, in religious circles, too. Right? Well, I'm, I'm Reformed. Well, I'm Reformed, too. Well, how Reformed are you? I'm more Reformed than John Calvin. Well, good for you. Right? <laughs> And then you got, well, I'm, I'm charismatic. Oh, those people are losers. And we fight. We're tribal. We're tribal. And Jesus, says, that's not what he's talking about. Right? He's not what he's talking about at all. How about extraordinary love? Loving people who are not like us. Okay, we're getting closer. Loving people who are not like us. That's, that's pretty extraordinary. That's, that's not ordinary. Okay. But actually, what Jesus is talking about, I would say, is supernatural love supernatural love loving people who dislike us so so there'd be four categories that help me think when i think about what jesus is saying in this command to love your enemies right are we to love everyone yes but we still have to define what love is now you might be thinking that's a helpful framework but it still doesn't answer foreigners question what is love right you still haven't answered it right so i looked it up bible dictionary ready Here's the definition. It's it's where you should always go for answers. Not always. An intense feeling of deep affection. Ugh. Right? Is that that what Jesus is talking about? I don't think so. If you punch me, I have deep affections (laughs) to harm you. That's what's natural to me. Right? I'm not going to turn my other cheek. I'm going to turn your cheek with my right fist. Seriously? Oh, oh, I'm different. You, know, you guys know. You're like, oh no, hit me. I love you. That's natural. That naturally comes to me. But supernatural love is, is, is so much not that. Well, So what is supernatural love? Ready? 1 John 3.16. By this, ready? We know love. Huh. This should be helpful. That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for For the brothers. By the way, that word us, well, of course he did. No, enemies. And if you don't believe me, hang in there because we're gonna go to another text. See, the Bible just cuts through the fog and the confusion of the question, well, what is love? Just cuts right through it, right? According to this text, that 1 John 3:16 text and the rest of the Bible, we don't have to guess what love is, right? So if if a friend a professor or someone at your workplace says, well, what is love? You could just quote 1 John 3.16 and say, this is love. See, Jesus' love wasn't simply some kind of mystical love, right? Or philosophical love or some version of sappy sentimentalism. It's not that at all. Jesus' love was active. It was active. You're rebelling against him. He puts on flesh. He comes to us to love us. And and his greatest display of that love, his demonstration of love, his greatest act of love was at the cross. And that's where God's wrath towards sinners and God's mercy towards those who do not deserve it kiss, and they come together, and Jesus saves those people who don't deserve to be saved. You want to see it in the Bible? Romans 5, 6 and 8, or 6 through 8, right? This text deserves meditation all week when we think about loving sinners because if you're going to love sinners it's not by you focusing on how to love enemies that's that's not how you love enemies that won't work it's by you focusing on how God loved you while you are his enemy it's by looking at at the character of your father in heaven who has made a way for sinners and rebels to draw near to him through the blood of Christ and that thinking, that understanding, that receiving of grace, that receiving of mercy starts to well up in you, love. If God didn't withhold love from me, how can I now withhold love from anyone? And that's what he's saying. That's why he's saying the power to do what I'm talking about, yes, is going to come in the form of the Holy Spirit. He's going to invade your life. He's going to indwell you. You're going to be filled with power to love. But it's, it's by, by knowing the one who is love It's by knowing your father who is merciful. It's by knowing he's kind to the ungrateful like you. That's what Jesus is saying in this moment. And we're going to be like him. And you're like, well, what's, what's he like? And Jesus will eventually say, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I'm the exact imprint. And you're like, yeah, but I always thought the father was kind of like Old Testament God. And you're like the new enlightened fella. No. We worship one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, Spirit. You've you've met me, you've met, you've met my Father. I am Him, He is me. This is God in the flesh, right? And so look look at Romans 5, 6 through 8 with me. For while we were still weak, right? Weak, not like can't do some, you know, you know, Big push-ups and stuff. It's, I have no ability to, to, to work my way to God. I'm weak. I, I have, I'm limited. I can't do it. At the right time, Christ died for the, what's it say? Ungodly. <laughs> Who's that? You and me. All of humanity. Oh, I don't like to be called that. Sorry. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Meaning, someone is good. Someone is, you know, pillar in the community. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Maybe, but he says, "But listen, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us." Oh, do you see? I mean, God's love is distinctive in the sense that He pursues and He saves. And he's sacrificial in giving his life to save those who hate him. He loved his enemies. We're his enemies. Right? His love makes us lovable in that sense. He he didn't die for good people. There are no good people. He died for ungodly, weak sinners rebelling against him, his rule and his reign. God says, do this. And we say, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do what I want to do. And, And that's rebellion. And and God, in his kindness, comes and he saves. See, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can know that without a shadow of doubt that God loves us. Do you ever wonder, I don't know if God loves us. No, he loved you while you were his enemy. And now if you're trusting in Jesus by grace alone, through faith alone, in his life, his death, and his resurrection, you're his child. It's a gift given to you. How much more would he love you now? If he loved you while you were rebelling against him, how much more would he now love you with a warm embrace? Say, that's my son. That's my daughter. I'm for you. And see, that's the kind of love that actually man, it transcends and it transforms in how we love. But you've got to understand this kind of love. It's out of this world. You would never do that. You might die for someone. I think on, on the right day and all the stars align, I'm definitely dying for my wife. I'm definitely dying for my daughter. And I'm definitely dying for most of you. Just come on, you can laugh. (laughs) But you don't know until the moment. But I tell you, there's a lot of people in this world I'm not dying for. And I'm not going to name them. It's not. Christ died for the worst. And until you see yourself as the worst, you'll never see God's grace as the greatest. You just won't. Because you'll think, of course he died for me. You won't say that. You're too slick. But God knows. So what is love? Tim Keller said this. He says, love is never primarily defined in the Bible as a feeling. Oh, you're disagreeing with the, uh, the, uh, the, the dictionary thing. And he says, at its foundation, love is at least a commitment and a promise. Is that how we think about love? So, ready? Here's my attempt at defining love. Ready? It's point two. Love that is worth something involves a compassionate commitment to give of yourself for the good of another that does not require repayment or that that person being loved is deserving. You could probably write a better sentence, and you should, and then you should share it with me because we're going to be talking about love a lot as we continue on planet Earth. <laughs> because that's, that's Jesus' message. It's, it's love. It's just radically different than what we think of when we think of love. So that's a great understanding of love. Love is worth, that's worth something in, in God's economy, right? This is worth something. Involves a compassionate commitment, right? I, I have emotions for you, but it's not my emotions that drive my behavior. I'm committed to you. I'm committed to you. To to give of myself, it involves sacrifice, right? For the good of another, and I don't require that they pay me back, and I don't require that they're even deserving of it. That's the kind of love that that Christ is talking about. As you're going to continue to see it throughout the Gospel of Luke, compassion is going to drive Jesus to wash his disciples' feet, which that might not mean much to you, but he'll wash Judas' feet as well. It's going to drive him to serve others, to weep over the city of Jerusalem. And his most beautiful expression of his love and compassion is the divine love where he's willingly, willingly paid for the price of our sin against God. That's the highest price. He was willing to lay down his life to save natural born enemies. He became an enemy for enemies so that us enemies could become sons and daughters. And that's the beauty of his love. and it's deeper and more profound than that. We just need to continue to seek him. See, it's really crystal clear that as I read this text that you and I must learn to love again. Or maybe learn to love for the first time. Because it always listen, love always involves compassion, it leads to action. This is that how we think about love. Lo- love that flows from the gospel should be generous. Generous, time, talent, energy, money. Yes, here. Right? I give of myself. It has to cost you something. If loving people never cost you anything, you don't love people you love yourself. You're still self preserving, right? I don't want to give. I don't give you time. I don't want to give you energy. I don't want to give you any money. But I love you, right? You might even put a little praying emoji up. It doesn't cost you anything. That's not the love that God's talking about, it's forbearing. It's patient. It's gracious. It's treating others as we wish to be treated. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Make no mistake about it. The life of a follower of Jesus is love for one's enemies. And guess what? This love transforms because it takes enemies, and and guess what it does? It unites us and makes us brothers and sisters. This is why, ready? Newsflash. And if this is like radical to you, you're not reading your Bible. Democrats and Republicans should love one another. Oh. <gasps> should love one another in the church. I don't know. I have read a different version of the, the Bible. There is no other version. God's grace unifies natural-born enemies. That is that's the work of the gospel. That's the work of the Spirit. <laughs> See, because here's the deal. It doesn't require a transformed heart to love those who love you. It doesn't require a transformed heart to be good to those who are good to you. The world does that. Anyone can lend generously, expecting to be returned. All right, so when, when people have been transformed by the love of Christ, ready? We will love those around us with a love that will transform others. I'm going to read a story to you to help illustrate it. So, so pay attention as I read, and, uh, and we'll be finishing up shortly. Tom Skinner was an African-American evangelical who was born and raised on the streets of New York City. Okay? He was converted, and in his memoir, Black and Free, he wrote this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is true. All right? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. That's, that's what the text is, okay? If I had not been reached by Jesus Christ, I would either be dead, he said, in prison, or graduated to a higher form of hoodlum, right? So Jesus Christ is alive in me, he said. My life has new meaning and purpose because of him. The tremendous work that the Spirit of God has done in my life in transforming me soon became evident to me. He took the bigotry, hate, and violence out of my life. He relates in an incident that happened several weeks after his conversion, several weeks after his conversion, set weeks, not decades, weeks. Ready? In a football game, several weeks after my late, later newfound Christian love met another's test. I played left guard on the team. It was my job on end arounds or off tackle to play and run interference when the halfback took the ball. If you don't understand football, it's okay. You'll get what he's saying. So when the quarterback called an end around play, I pulled out and I blocked the defensive end, knocking him out of the play. The halfback went through and scored. We were getting up from the ground and getting ready to head back to the huddle. The kid that I happened to block got up, and he was furious. He jumped in front of me and slammed me in the stomach. As I bent over from the blow, he hacked me across the back. I hit the ground as he kicked me, shouting, You, dirty, and I'm not going to read it. You can use your imagination, right? It's horrible language. I'll teach you a thing or two. Under normal circumstances, the old Tom Skinner would have jumped up and pulverized this white boy. But instead, I got up from the ground and I said to him, You know? Because of Jesus Christ, I love you anyway. The kid threw off his helmet and he ran off the field and he couldn't play the rest of the game. When the game was over, he met me in the locker room and he said to me, Tom, you've done more to know, uh, to drive out prejudice out of me by telling me that you have loved me than you would have if you would have socked me in the jaw he's saying, you're correcting my thinking by not retaliating, by loving, right? I mean, it, By the way, it's important to understand Skinner's deep internalization of Jesus' commands here to love your enemies um, drove the rest of his life because essentially he became a social critic and an ardent uh, proponent of racial justice outside the church. But know this, in, in Skinner's mind, there was no conflict between loving forgiveness and pursuing justice. And, and can I tell you, he's right. He's right. You, you, we have to understand this. See, the cross demands that we demonstrate justice and mercy. It demands it, because that's exactly what happened at the cross. So if we stand up, ready? If this Back to For the City Church, or if you're from another church and with us, glad to have you here, you. If we stand up for what's right, we'll have enemies. I, I just guarantee it. If you stand up for what's right, for what is true, what is good, what is beautiful, as declared in the Bible, you're going to have enemies because they're going to feel justified in their hosti- hostility towards us, right? But Jesus says, love them anyway. Love them anyway. Pursue them. This world is ever-increasing in hostility, right? I, think, I don't think that's hard to see. Um, but but it, it expects hostility in return. Right? That's what it expects. As a matter of fact, there's many times where the world's provoking you because they want that. And, and what is Jesus essentially saying? Surprise them and do good. Surprise them. Don't meet their hostility with hostility. Meet their hostility with like hospitality. Hospitality is love of stranger. I'm not saying you invite them into your home to cause damage, but, but love them. And love them doesn't mean you get to punch me. I'm going to make sure we have boundaries there, but I'm going to pray for you, and and I am going to serve you in a way that makes sense, and if it doesn't make sense, then you shouldn't. By the way, this is why you should be in a community of other gospel-believing people, because guess what? I can't answer every scenario right now that's running through your brain. And Jesus in this text isn't answering every scenario that's running through your brain. This is why you must surround yourself with people who love Jesus and know the Word of God so that you can ask for wisdom from God, discernment from the community, and say, what is most loving here? What is most loving here? Because it might look like this, or it might like, look like this, but the question is, how do we love? How do we love? And That's, that's got to be the thing that drives... You're you're walking with God in this city, in the country, in the suburbs, wherever you find yourself. What is most loving here? It's going to cost you. See, gospel love can't be the sappy love is love garbage. It's full of emotion and big talk, but it really doesn't do anything. They love themselves like every other human in the world apart from grace and the Holy Spirit. You and I are no different apart from Jesus saved us. Now he lives in us, and he says, this is what it means to love. This is what it means to love. Jesus is saying, make it practical. He really is. What good thing can you and I do for those who have done bad things to us? That's the question. What can we do? You should be thinking about, God, help me. You and I have people who don't like us. How, how can, what's most loving to them? You should think about that. And whatever it is, ready? As long as it, it's good and it's right, do it. Do it. Take a chance on on love in response to God's great love to us. This is what it means to be a Christian. May he help us to love the ungrateful because we were ungrateful and he loved us, right? May may we love our fellow evil people in the world. Why? Because you and I were evil and Christ made us new. This is the gospel that he's talking about. This kind of love is supernatural. This kind of love is transformative. His love transforms us, and our love ought to transform the people we come in contact with. This is what it means to love. So, by God's grace, may he do that work in us. We need so much help. If you're thinking, I can't do that. I've never done that. Yeah, that's probably probably true. I'm not going to let you off the hook. But guess where you should run? Not to where you have failed, but to where God has loved you. You should run to his love. You should ask him to transform your heart. You should ask him to transform your mind. And in time, as you walk with him, you'll not just love one another. As a church body, we'll get an opportunity to love people who don't love us. That's the stuff of God's kingdom. So may God have mercy and help us to love with that kind of love. That's a supernatural love. We need his grace. We need his power. Thankfully, he's full of both, and he's given us power. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us while we were your enemies. Lord, thank you that you did not, in your absolute justice, pour out your wrath upon a sinful, rebellious people, but in your kindness you sent your son to receive the wrath of God for all who will trust and believe in you. And so, God, we thank you that by nature, we are, we're your enemy, but by grace, we've been made sons and daughters. And so, Father, help us, we ask, in the powerful name of Jesus, to understand more fully the depth of your love. Help us to understand more fully the depth of your life, your substitutionary death upon the cross in our place, Help us to understand the resurrection and the power that has come to us because we trust and believe in you. Lord, may we decrease, may you increase, may we be a people that are known for love. Love is defined in the Bible, not love is defined in this culture. Lord, it is a supernatural love, which means we need supernatural power help us to do that. Correct our thinking, align our hearts with you. And Lord, may we live in such a way that when we are reviled, when we are hated because of your name, say that we would love and receive great reward. And the great reward is you. You are our great reward. And so Lord, we ask for more of you. And we ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons. Find out more information about For the City or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.